0: I can remember I sat back in the snow and I said, yes, I want a guru. You know, it was kind of interesting. And then the next day, my brother came up to me and he said, wow, I've I've met this um, person. And he came back from India with Kirpal Singh. And so to me, it was a graduation to I could feel, I could sense that Kirpal Singh was a saint. He was a f- f- enlightened being. This was the f- first time I would say I was introduced to that possibility that here was somebody of the really the highest order, sort of like one with God, not just on the way, but they had reached some sort of accomplishment. And uh, I eventually, so it's interesting how I was introduced to that after that prayer, you might say. I thought that was synchronistic and mm-hmm. seeing how the universe can come into play.
1: Hello and welcome to Curious Ones podcast by Andara. I'm Yael Ginsberg, the host of the podcast, a yoga and meditation teacher and philosophy lover. Each week you will hear eye-opening interviews with the different teachers of the Yandara Yoga Institute located in beautiful Baja, Mexico, along with other teachers that pass through here. This life-changing knowledge shared through authentic, heartfelt communication will help you live a happier, more fulfilled, and connected life. Let's dive in. Today, I have Craig Perkins here with me. Craig is the co-founder of Yandara. He attended his first yoga teacher training in 1968 and has continued his yoga studies and other disciplines as well, including Chinese yoga, Tai Chi, and Qigong uh, ever since. He studied different styles of yoga and meditation and studied with many great teachers, which is what we're going to speak about today. And he's also the co-author of the book, Yandara, Teaching Yoga from the Heart. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. So today <laughs> mm-hmm. we wanted to speak about the different enlightened masters that you have met, and your relationship with them, their effect that they had on you. So maybe we can start with a little explanation of what is a guru for you.
0: Well, when you say I've had association with different enlightened masters, you might say, I would say there's different degrees of that. Mm. And, um as a range
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so one of the I, I guess I guess one of the benefits of these teachers is not necessarily their um philosophies or the you know their their studies around this information they have it's more like being in their energy is um, valuable to us
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it could be sort of quantified Um well, one, not really a yogi, but a, definitely a spiritual being with Mitek Wirkus, who was a um, – <clears throat> he had a gift from childhood um, where he had his healing qualities. And they actually built an entire hospital around him, apparently. Um, he is such – so powerful. Um, and when he came to the West, um, he um, – you know, the, I – he started teaching and, and he has actually just made, only does individual sessions with people. But the Mayo Clinic did some studies with him where they had a client or a patient or whatever you're going to call it was sitting hooked up to an electrocephalogram, sort of a biofeedback device, checking the, uh, uh, the wavelength of the brain. And when Meetik walked into the room, it clearly went into a a beautiful state, you know, a state of harmony or coherence, you might say. <clears throat> so I think that's one of the determining factors when you talk about being around somebody because they can have great oratory, you know, information and everything and enthusiasm and stuff. But to me, unless they have that quality of chaktipat,
2: mm-hmm.
0: would, would just by pure presence would um affect us. I think that's really important. And mm-hmm. so <clears throat> in since about 1967 or 66, <clears throat> this time what I've spent with different human beings with gifts, we'll call them, mm-hmm. has been a spectrum of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> And so I just wanted to, to clarify that. But one of the things, one of the themes I feel a message is that one of my first uh, teachers, uh, Barry Burkitt, um, he, he he wasn't a very, you know, he was wasn't advanced yogi or anything like this. But he reached out, and he had some qualities, mm-hmm. and so I encourage people who. You know, who are endeavoring to be yoga teachers and things like this, that they they don't have to be enlightened beings in order to <laughs> be of benefit to people. Of course, and I think that there's so much appreciation for Barry, who reached out to me. And what I, what do was, you mean,
1: reached out?
0: He just started talking about Tibetan Buddhism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and so and uh, and so. Uh, and and so so that was very valuable to me even though I didn't have a clue what was going on i mean i was coming out of the 50s you might say mentality and i was a, you know the ski club and and, and mm. you know and and basketball and everything and at that point at that time there was no consideration of a a more elevated or preferred weight of state of consciousness it was just everything was just you know yeah <laughs> happy days and so for him to reach out to to i had resistance to that because i didn't know what he was talking about that clue it was interesting but he was uh, you know just persistent and even and just kept saying things that were um of value Mm
1: -hmm. do you remember something that stuck with you
0: well it was Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And mm-hmm. so he just jumped into the whole idea of, you know, of, of the guide, the Tibetan guides, as, as you're going through these different states of consciousness to guide us into the pure light. Mm-hmm. And not be distracted by the various Bardo planes that come up. And, you know, and all this very esoteric stuff, you yeah. know, at the same time, you know, I think some of the most esoteric teachings are based on the Tibetan Book of Dead. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting that I was, you know, introduced to that the most advanced, you might say, the most yeah. difficult to comprehend. but. Uh, there was, you know, I'm just saying it was, it was a value. Yeah.
1: So Today was- we can speak about it nonchalantly because you have had uh, many, 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 many years of, <laughs> <laughs> of experience in this world. Yeah. But I'm sure at the time it, I can understand where the resistance comes. And I feel like many, if not all of us, experience some sort of resistance when we first l- get to know the teachings. In addition to having also the experience of kind of feeling that we can find the answers to questions that we might not even have known that we have. Mm. Uh, we had a longing that wasn't fulfilled, but we didn't know what that longing was. Yes. And that that's kind of what happens when you start to hear these teachings. It's kind of like resonates with something that you already had inside, but you didn't quite know that you did. Right. Exactly. And I think also about like the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying that you mentioned. It's a. It's a, one of the basics, basic teachings, uh, or the most profound teachings. And I think there are very many esoteric concepts there, but there are also many basic concepts, like the impermanence of all things. Like nobody can argue that everything is all the time changing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it is easy in a way to to mm-hmm. connect to that.
0: Uh, yes, it did. It sort, it sort of alienated me from my gang, mm. my, my, my buddies. And, uh, all, you know, all of a sudden I was, uh, <laughs> I remember very clearly going on a drunken ski trip, you know, uh, and me getting drunk and standing on top of the table and saying, praise Buddha, praise Buddha. Now, back <laughs> in the 1966, believe me, that was not, that was extremely out of the ordinary. You know, you got drunk every Friday night and that was it. You know, it was for a, not rednecky, but you know, that kind of, so that's just all there was. <laughs> so that kind of alienation mm-hmm. happened. Um, and, um, then, you know, the, 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 next teacher I had, I, I had some inner experiences around, um, his training it happened sort of spontaneously so that gave me a little bit of an insight into things it's a complicated story to get into but basically i did have a basic uh near-death experience where i experienced some of the what was um could be experienced you might say and Mm -hmm. um so around that experience something come opening occurred in me And the next step uh, was uh, to meet Ananda Bhavanani. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, he was a direct disciple of Shivananda, Swami Shivananda from that lineage. And again, it was very fascinating because um, all of a sudden there was some interest in in that one year period, like Mm -hmm. 1966 to 1967. There was an awakening with the Beatles and Maharishi, Mahashyogi and all this stuff. So yoga actually very quickly, um, became very popular. The whole concept of meditation and things like this. So there was a transition. There was some appeal to that, which was, you know, and I found new friends, new people, no associations as I moved out of where I was in North Vancouver to Vancouver. And there was a little bit more, you know, near the art schools and stuff. And so there was a whole hippie thing mm-hmm. merging around that. Yeah. But I do remember Ananda Bhavanani, and I studied with him. That's who I got my first certification to yoga training, although it was, it was just a one-on-one thing that mm. happened. There was no formal pack group. You know, we just worked together until we he decided that, you know, I could teach in Shivananda style.
1: Mm. So that's more close to the guru-disciple relationship yes. than a classical <clears throat> teacher training.
0: <clears throat> yes. And so he Barry Burkitt, he was just a, <clears throat> a Westerner who was introduced some of these things. <clears throat> and here was, you know, I mean, even though he was from Alberta and he was a, uh, I think, I don't know what his heritage was. I think he was either Italian or Maybe in, maybe from India. That's funny. I don't really know. Anyways, um, he definitely had the whole yogic background, really solid. And so he, I remember he, him opening up to me in a very practical way, the teachings of yoga and how it could transform our lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that, that culminating in an experience when I was a teacher, but still with him, um, where I felt something very strong a very strong experience i remember sitting in front of uh, my class as i was a teacher and experiencing something quite phenomenal and at the same time remembering the times i had with him so it started to open up uh Another state of consciousness that was preferred, I would say. It was more uplifting. There was some magic there.
1: Mm -hmm. And you, you relate that to the relationship with the teacher.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. His transference, his ability, not just in physical teachings, but his presence again Mm -hmm. was a uh, a strong influence. Uh, It was, it was good.
1: Wow. So from there, you were teaching yoga. You had met already two significant teachers on your path, right? <clears throat> Where did you go from there?
0: Yes, one of the, it's hard to remember precisely the sequence, but definitely it was with um, uh, again uh, the Tibetan, uh, Tibetan Buddhism.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I was initiated in Tibetan Buddhism by Sawan Jimmy, I think his name was, mm-hmm. uh, and they had come over from the um, from, from Tibet. You know, they were out of out of Tibet and into India and then they came to Vancouver. And so there was, um, I, I was initiated in Tibetan Buddhism doing all their practices and everything. And so that was an, another experience that added a dimension of things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then, um, and again, the, the, it, it, it's, it's just an appreciation of people reaching out. Um, and, you know when they're when they're doing their own oh, money bid me oh money bid me oh, money bid me oh, money me oh, it was you know it was like really cool <laughs> yeah. you know it's like wow you know they're all chanting like that mm-hmm. <laughs> um and again i was like 18 or something so this was going on there and also i wasn't at that point because there was no role models of what a yoga teacher did i didn't realize i was too young to have yoga studios and things like this i had a 5,000 square foot yoga studio And classes all the time And I was 18 years old And max it was 50 people In my class one time <laughs> I didn't know That I couldn't do that
1: Wow Incredible <laughs> That like Not having the limitation yeah. Of it yeah. Made you able to do it At such a young age And I think that Maybe we can uh, Frame that As an yes. important lesson Because So many times Our limitation Of what we think We can do Really does end up Limiting our our reality and a technique that I've learned, maybe you can share one as well is to find People who inspire you, who were able to do what you strive to do, but don't have an example of it around you, and let that be an inspiration that it is possible. Let's say um, you find somebody with a similar background or a similar upbringing that has done something that you have done or that you want to do, and you let that be kind of like there's a woman called Lacey Phillips, she calls it as an expander. Like it expands your. Um, awareness to what is possible. Maybe you can also share, um, your approach to how do we let go of the limitation of what is possible for us?
0: Yeah, I think that, that I, I would say the, the message is, is the, what happened, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't have any limiting <laughs> guidelines. So, look at your own self and see because one of the the whole idea of of me sitting here is to encourage people to be yoga teachers that's what we do at yandara we get people yoga teachers Mm -hmm. because it's incredible and it's a wonderful way to help people and i think to be empowered to not be limit yourself with other seemingly you know not necessarily well role models but You know, we, we see certain people in certain lights and we want to be like them or we want to emulate them, but also to be empowered to, you know, hey, you know, I can do it 18 years old and have a following. You know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't gifted or anything in a certain (laughs) way. I just had a lot of, you know, get up and go. I mean, you know, and I just was very positive about that. You know, that's what I, I, I would say. Don't be limited by. Yeah. what's around us
1: in a way hearing that you were able to do it is also an expander you right, know?
0: exactly yeah <clears throat> so the next teacher that I came across is a shamacharya and it's very interesting this is so wild sometimes <laughs> like fifty years later forty five years later I'm in Bali and I met this guy who is at our yoga teacher training and um he knew Shamacharya.
2: Really? That's incredible.
0: <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the possibility of that happening? He, wow. you know, because he went back to India shortly after he was in Vancouver for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it, it, it was nice. I mean, it, it, he, again, he was a, a regular um, yoga teacher. Um, he wasn't necessarily all that much of a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying from the beginning, I was saying different qualities, but he definitely, uh, educated us into, um, the practical elements of Yath, uh, pretty much in a more advanced way than perhaps Ananda Babanani. Mm-hmm. So he was very much into some of the practical elements of the, of the teachings. And, you know, we did, um, retreats and organized a big retreat for the summer up in a mountain uh, of a ski resort. With him. An abandoned ski resort. And we had hundreds of people come up there from Vancouver. And wow. it had a big, big retreat. Like I say, I just did all this stuff. <laughs>
1: wow. And,
0: um, uh, back then, by the way, <laughs> a theme is if you look at Woodstock, uh, which was a huge movement, there was nobody over 30 years old. Mm-hmm. All the people who organized, all the musicians, mm-hmm. all the people who organized that were 25 years old. Mm-hmm. No, there was nobody over 30. Mm-hmm you know it's fascinating it was an empowerment of youth empowerment you might say or mm-hmm. younger people if you look you look at the you look at that and there were some really strong movements afoot
1: yeah um, so you're you mean that you mean you mean to say that in order to empower younger yes. people to yeah to know that they're able to do things like that yeah mm-hmm.
0: because a lot of the i mean Relevant to People are making choices Coming out of college And everything And they come to Yandara And they're at a, a, a Stage of life They are kind of 23, 24 Some of the older 30 But everything mm-hmm. like this But there is a sense Of uh, That's what we That's a, That's the Demographics that we get here Yeah And so I do like to Encourage people That To Go ahead and push Yeah through. <laughs> don't, don't wait till you're 50 hmm Um yeah and 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 also i just want to i mean I, this is just a story because i think it's kind of fascinating the what happened to me and me i was almost like Gurjee's meeting with remarkable men you know that book <laughs> you know it's fascinating to see all these people there was one um I can't remember his name, but he was a yogi. He was 93 years old <clears throat> and he was a personal friend of Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. He came to Vancouver <clears throat> and he was making some presentation. He hadn't eaten any food for three years. He was a breatharian mm-hmm. at water, uh, water and air. Uh, and he, he was the same thing. You, you sat in his presence. I just he didn't speak English. Uh, you sat in his presence and you felt something. You felt, felt Shaktipat. And it was again, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, what one person can do, another can do. Like, wouldn't that be cool if we could reach that state? Not necessarily about not eating, I think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's phenomenal, it's interesting, it's mm-hmm. miraculous almost. But it was more like his presence was so sweet and calm and uplifting. So he was definitely in the range of some enlightened yogi. Mm-hmm. Uh Again, inspiration. Yeah. An inspiration around that. Um then you know, this is just a story part of the thing. There's no message, this is a story. I think it's I think it's it's, I, when I look back, I think it's pretty phenomenal.
1: Hey, I'm quickly interrupting the episode to extend an invitation. If you're interested in deepening into any of the subjects we talk about on the podcast, we offer many different experiences on our beautiful grounds here in Baja, Mexico. From nine-day modules such as sound healing and yoga nidra, to breath and meditation, as well as two or 300-hour yoga teacher trainings, and many different shorter retreats. Check out our website, yandara.com, to see all the information about the different experiences. Let's get back to the episode.
0: Then I I found the book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm-hmm. And I was so inspired. And I can remember, I was a ski instructor too, all this. At the same time that I was doing these yoga classes and everything, I was also a yoga instructor, a ski instructor.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um in the in the winter months. And um I remember reading the book, Arab Yogi, and I was so inspired by it. It's so moving. If you should read the book, it's just really cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Classic yoga um, you know, story of a yogi. And um, I can remember I sat back in the snow and I said, Yes, I want a guru. You know, it was kind of interesting. And then the next day my brother came up to me and he said, wow, I, I've met this um, person and he came back from India with Kirpal Singh. And <clears throat> so to me, it was a graduation to I could feel, I could sense that Kirpal Singh was a saint. He was mm-hmm. a f- f- enlightened being. This was the f- first time I would say I was introduced to that. Possibility that here was somebody of the really the highest order, sort of like one with God, not just on the way, but they had reached some sort of accomplishment. And uh, I eventually, so it was interesting how I was introduced to that after that prayer, you might say. I thought that was synchronistic and Mm -hmm. seeing how the universe can come into play. And then,
2: yeah.
0: And then going to India and um, experiencing for the first time uh, an enlightened being, a, a sense of you know, there's some teachers who are very, I would say, a great gift, but also egocentric. You know, mm-hmm. it, great orators, great message, and it's not like necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, but it's a strong personality, I would say. Whereas Kirpal Singh was the epitome of humility and simplicity. And, you know, it's like even things like he, there's this ashram built around him. He probably had, you know, 50,000 followers. He was an enlightened being. It was just obvious something incredible going Mm -hmm. on there. And he lived on one little section of the ashram. You know, he had his own house. He... Always earned his. You know, he, he was retired and had a pension which he lived on, and he donated money to the sangha. It didn't take any money for anything.
1: Wow!
0: Well, you know, and that is rare. Yes, it is rare. Yeah. And it was. It was. A, it was something beautiful, and that he took his money and helped the sangha. And yeah. he he would have also like Mother Teresa, not just. A teaching, but also an example of helping out, you know, orphanages and an old age home and, mm. and, uh, things like this where he really went out and helped the people as well, as well as being a completely spiritual teacher where you, it was initiated. I was initiated into him, into light and sound practice in inner light and sound, basically working on the planes of consciousness including and beyond the third eye. You know mm-hmm. what the, the chakras above, you might say, the, depending on who you're talking to, mm-hmm. five five planes of consciousness above the third eye.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and uh, to be initiated into that experience where he connected you with the light and sound within. And so there was that spiritual side of him. And... Um, I, I remember uh, I was, I guess I was 19, and I had first time I'd traveled anywhere in the world. I <laughs> think like the first time I'd been on a plane,
2: mm-hmm.
0: actually. And uh and certainly not around air conditioning. And arriving in India, and it was 118 degrees in the shade.
2: <laughs>
0: oh. And anybody who's been to India... There was an interesting thing where you have the untouchables Mm -hmm. living right outside the airport, basically living in garbage.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, And so that's a very, um, potentially traumatizing to see the suffering that goes on in the world. Um, and to drive through Delhi and it's a pretty much a lot of traffic and stuff going on and coming into the ashram, the old, an old Delhi coming across the bridge and entering the compound. And you initially could feel, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Maybe it's crowded, you know, it's not exactly peaceful. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a zoo kind of middle. And I remember entering into the ashram and i hadn't slept very well it was hot so i was like you know I was like really out of it kind of thing and in that i think that um altered state you might say um i could see like a golden energy coming from part of the ashram mm. and the closer i came it became stronger you know wow, yeah. and it was like amazing, there was a physical manifestation of beauty of radiance uh visually you know you could see it palpably, you know more like you could feel it with your eyes um yeah, and so it, it was wonderful, and I spent i think the first about month and a half or something there and and it was nice, you know. He talks, you know. You occasionally get a little audience with him, and you know it was a, you know. he tell he could tell the future. He just told me the future is a, in, in a very cryptic sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Can uh, you
1: share maybe something that he shared with you? <laughs>
0: um, well, it was, it was a funny thing, but I mean, the you know, you're supposed to stay in the ashram, and and, and I I was trying to endeavor to live and live in India. And because I wanted to be close to him. And so I was putting together a business at the same time. And so the, the, uh, administrator said, well, you can't do that, you know, and, um, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And, but I went to Kirpal Singh and he says, no, that's okay because he knew that I was going to create. A, a business mm-hmm. I created an import business, and he knew i mean so there's other things going on i can 't talk about necessarily, but i don't feel comfortable of his guidance on certain things, but it was fascinating how you know he knew that um it was okay for me to be doing that where it didn't fit in the rule book, but he knew what was happening mm-hmm. he knew that that was that was going to be enable me to come to India more often and I did start a import an import business. Mm. Um art east imports, you know. <laughs> and uh I don't know, it's just like he knew things that beyond that which most people could not comprehend, you know, i would no idea about. It, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. But again, you know, it's just like this it, there was just some humility where, you know, they said, Well, should you should get a new car and all this stuff. And he has like fifty thousand at least People and he has like ten thousand people coming to his ashram, you know, on the weekly ashram. He was friends with Indra Gandhi. I mean, he was a head of the World Fellowship of Religions, and everything as a, as an aside. Not to me, that wasn't a phony thing. His it was heartfelt. You know, he was endeavoring to do things that were beneficial as well as being a, an individual uh, spiritual guide to 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 people. Mm. But, you know, they said they wanted to get a new car. I said, no, no, the ambassador's just fine. And his, you know, <laughs> <laughs> his clothes aren't all of a sudden like 100% pristine. He didn't mm-hmm. care a little so much. And yeah, it, it was just fascinating to be around, to be around somebody who um, could do that. You know, it was inspiring beyond human comprehension, I would say. Yeah a loving simplicity, and you watched him walk across the compound and his, you know, just the way he moves his hands, the grace of who he was was mesmerizing Mm. to to see that. And, you know, I mean, just sort of like, one of the biggest miracles I would say I've seen in my life, although miracles is a strange word because I think it's all science, you know, but his son who took on the mantle after he died, Darshan Singh, um, when we were going, we, we he had the, that time, this was years later, um that that was that seeing Kripal Singh first time was 1969. He died in 74, so I had seen him about four or five times, and between that time, spent some time with him. Um and uh, but his son uh, took over, and it was a very you know I'm not sure to what degree. It feels like a very enlightened being. Um, but I remember that we were having a uh, he was having a tour. Darshan Singh was having a tour of uh, United States and Europe. And we all had, by that time, had centers set up all around, uh, in that 10 year period from 1970 around there to maybe 80, something like that, 10 years. We had set up different ashrams and centers around North America and, um, Europe. Anyways, he was coming on tour and he came to Chicago. And there was a, a center there in Chicago as well, but they didn't felt the logistics of um, transporting everybody there would going to be difficult. So they had the whole program at the O'Hare Hilton. And the O'Hare Hilton is possibly, if one could imagine, is probably the least likely place to have a three-day meditation retreat i mean probably right <laughs> down there at the least inappropriate place in the world mm-hmm. um, very noisy very dirty
2: mm.
0: at the intersection of highways and and the airport and um it was fascinating and so arriving there on thursday we arrived there on thursday um some of us were traveling um you know the vibrations were not that great and I guess one of, you know, it's just an incredible experience. He arrived on Friday morning and by Friday afternoon, he had turned that hotel palpably into an ashram. Mm-hmm. This one person, if you could believe the hallways, this is a hotels open to the public, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he had turned the hallways, everything into an ashram. You walk down and it was grace. Flowing through every room, every everything like this. It was the biggest miracle I've ever seen in my life. It's just like his energy was so in tune, so in coherence, you might say, that he changed the way. Well, they've changed the vibrations of the entire hotel in twelve hours. Wow! Yeah, it was really something. And it was those things you say, hmm, mm. this is interesting.
1: Yeah. I guess you have you would have to be there to fully understand exactly. the the scope of the miracle.
0: Yes, it would be.
1: But it's interesting and inspiring to hear about yeah. your experience for sure. Yeah,
0: it, it's it's very hard to uh, prove these things, you know, since yeah. um, because it's beyond the intellect. It's a it's, a, yeah. it's an experience which is hard to uh, quantify. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, these are I, I think. Um, you know, I, I guess another you know element here is is that <laughs> again, you know, it's possible for us to aspire to these things. Aspire, mm. like you know, we're going to be mathematicians or whatever. You know, whatever you know, we're going to be doing airline pilots, doctors. What if we aspire to be yogis?
2: <laughs>
0: and recognizing as you said what a person can do another person can do it wasn't some of these people were actually probably dropped from heaven you know or, or born with that yeah. but others um, clearly worked all their lives to create this experience
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I would themselves. even argue that an enlightened master kind of arrived, maybe at this lifetime with all the work that yes, he has yes. already done or she has already done before, yes. um, and then in that way they are born with it. Yes, um.
0: <laughs> to some degree. Yes, it does yeah. happen. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Um, but I think it's interesting that you you say that because there are different levels <laughs> that we can affect. The people around us. So not everybody needs to have a fifty thousand people community, but even being able to affect like a ten person class Mm -hmm. is already Mm -hmm. in itself a meaningful thing.
0: I mean, sometimes even your own children. Yeah. You know, or your own partner or something. You know, there's also that level as well. You know, it's all. um, You know, I I think it. I think it's important for us to look at those things.
1: Yeah, because it is (laughs) true that our energy speaks louder than our words. This is actually um, a saying from one of my teachers, uh, Gabby Bernstein. She, she had it in one of her books, and she explains there the concept that really our energy that we emanate from ourselves is much stronger than, than the words that we might use. So working on the energy level <coughs> of our, our spirit is a meaningful thing even if it might be hard to quantify or measure or prove as you said
0: yeah i think i think getting the practice part of it is i think that um a lot of people are introduced to yoga in terms of hatha yoga and going to yoga class and feeling some experience and you know also, I mean, we were talking about how, how, okay, how do how do we achieve these things? How do we achieve yeah. this? And I think at Yandara, we have put together in a small way and maybe a big way a formula mm. where people come for seventeen to twenty three days, and we're giving them the tools and the experience, very practical things that they can do to achieve a preferred state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the people come away, I mean, as well as the practical element of being able to teach a yoga class, a yeah. physical hatha yoga exercise class, is to find ways to put themselves into a state of coherence or a state of upliftment to mm-hmm. some degree, a loving consciousness. And I think it's a value to say, oh, this is what we did. We did. Here's six things that we did or seven or eight things, practices that we we're here beyond this the teaching of physical yoga class. We introduce all these things. And so yeah. at the end, people, majority of people feel an upliftment. They feel that they have established a different state of consciousness and they walk away with the tools to be able to further that. So not just like this is what happened. It can yeah. go back into their lives and do these different practices, the, the different um um, um, we call it Nashtanga Yoga, what's it called the limbs, the different mm-hmm. limbs of yoga mm-hmm. manifest in more of a Western understanding, because yeah. sometimes the Eastern is a little bit hard for us Westerners to comprehend, but I think we've synthesized it into how it can be understood from Western thinking.
1: I think it's undeniable the effect of a yoga teacher training and the immersion mm. aspect of being in a place like this <clears throat> that has trained yogis for 15 years and more. And there is definitely a huge effect on that and being in nature in this beautiful place with like-minded people. All of this has an extreme uh, effect on our energy level, our, our consciousness on many different levels. Um, maybe you can also give um, a few guidance points for people maybe in preparation <laughs> for a training. How do they start to uh, shift into this state of being or maybe somebody who isn't quite ready yet for a training right now, something that they can do at home right now? To
0: me, I have <clears throat> sort of use the acronym MASS: M-A-S-S, <laughs> in nature for yeah. so sometimes clar- to clarify a little bit but <clears throat> i think the one thing the first one is is meditation and that is presence and mm-hmm. so i think uh, that any time that we can do practices that are uh classic meditations that most people familiar with just closing your eyes and internalization instead of being constantly externalized but simply I would say moving from head to heart from mm-hmm. thinking to feeling from fears to love but yeah. there is this element here of presence and I think that more people can sit down quietly and not be reading or writing or thinking to just be aware of the sensations of their body um aware of the sensations of the air entering leaving the lungs basically moving into body consciousness you might say in the more spiritual sense of the word Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and around that i think that uh mass in nature is that nature is very powerful so taking time to be alone in nature and feeling our feelings i think is helpful very beneficial it's a we don't think about it, but nature is one of the yogis, one of the spiritual gurus.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And the next one is asana practice. Of course, you know, that's natural to be, in a sense, to maintain good body health because mm. you can't, as they say, you can't, you can't uh, go very far on a sick horse. <laughs> yes,
1: definitely. <laughs>
0: so, it's important, as you know, as you're saying, in preparation to find through exercise, through health, um, eating well, and you know, all, all sorts are uh, really important for us. And I I think some people uh, I've seen are emphasizing too much meditation, you might say, or too much sort of the basic teachings, and ignore their physical health to some degree. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not mainstream people but I mean there's another side of it that it's important to not only be a meditator but also have the physical health and well-being yeah. so the hatha yoga is a science of optimum physical health
1: yeah I find it interesting that mm. in the eight limbs that you mentioned mm. the yoga which is who for those who don't know it is the kind of the basic guidelines uh, of the yogi <clears throat> -hmm. Sorry,
2: that was Mm -hmm. keto. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) No, do no harm. (laughs) (laughs) So the um, aspect of the asana practice, the physical practice is one of eight parts. And another part of the eight parts is the meditation, meaning that they have um, a a similar size of the pie chart, if you will, in -hmm. order in in aspect of the importance they have in the physical, in the spiritual journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one is the next M A S, first S is uh, satsang. And that is mm. the company of those people who are, 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 have good, good energy, basically. So, you know, not necessarily, I would say, I mean, I don't, you know, not necessarily hanging around people who are drunk or alcoholic. I mean, or, you know, or aggressive and, you know, all these things and, you know, things, people who are kind and, um, healthy and vibrant and things. Having the company of good people is, is an integral part of the practice that we can work with. Um. Uh, people who are not angry, ideally just angry and, you know, upset all the time, you know, I'm not upset at something else, but, you know, just a positive energy, including, mm. including going to a classic satsang, including, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't know where to go. Go to a Sikh temple sometimes. Mm. You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, yeah. uh, you can just feel some of these things. There's, there's certain Hindu temples and things like this, you know, I've, I found that can be quite valuable for us. You see, it seems culturally a little bit odd for us to be there, but um, there's some beautiful things there. But is there any yoga satsangs and music in Kirtan? Uh, and the next one is a little bit more interesting, and that is Asatya or truthfulness. Um, that's a classic um, practice that people can do, or find somebody who you can, instead of putting on a personality all the time. To try and in, integrate and so sort of a pasana type things is to see who we really are instead of putting on a persona. It's a lot to go into there, but, um, that's a whole other area. But they're the idea of truthfulness, the idea of not so not telling lies, but introspection yeah. v- verbally about who we really are and everything. And the next one is seva and that is, um, doing good works without any consideration of return. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very powerful foundation piece of the limbs of yoga, uh, seva. And it is good to go consideration financially and physically to do things for people. Um, y- you know, and, and, and recognizing from a scientific point of view, you don't lose anything. You don't lose any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gain money. Mm-hmm. That's a ridiculous thing to say, but you're not losing anything when you are giving. And it's a foundation of, you know, of giving so much of your time
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, money. Actually, sometimes I, 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 I just really, actually, it's really, I just really enjoy, um, over, the, the, the grocery store uh, package uh, and and the person the you know um, pumping gas and everything and you know it's, it's you know it's you know I, I it feels good to me you know just to give them a day's wages mm-hmm. you know <laughs> or something you know it's like direct direct Cannot contact not necessarily giving to a charities which can or be can't be good, but i I do feel it's kind of nice to to do things like that, and I can see there is uh, a benefit sometimes, and sometimes we are taught you know we'll look after money and all this stuff, you know share a little bit and be surprised it doesn't doesn't you doesn't hurt that much financially to do things and just yeah. help people out
1: I also want to ask you if somebody. Wants to start learning from gurus and different teachers. Where would you recommend for them to start <laughs> looking? I think it's um, maybe if somebody isn't able to travel to India to mm. find an enlightened <laughs> teacher. Or.
0: Well, what I've noticed more, this is actually a changing of a paradigm where when I was growing up, when I was, we did reach remarkable men, and I think something's happening. This is a little bit going out there a little bit. But I think since 1982, around there, there have been incarnations of people like yourself who are um considered normal, you might say. But I think we have much more gifts than we think we do. So I think we're looking around. I don't notice as many gurus as mm. that I did. Like, I don't know where there's something not, you know, there's not as many of them around. Mm. And I think they are with people who are around us mm. sometimes. And there's no, I mean, this is fascinating. I don't think it was happening so much back in the fifties where there would be some of, a, of a, an enlightened nature, just be our, you know, people around. I think that we, uh, you know, the story is, I don't know, around some 1980, so people, people started to be reincarnates mm-hmm. and they had a background and all of a sudden they're born in this world, in the Western world and be seemingly fairly normal people. But they had, um, when you look in a little bit deeper, cause I know as a lot of people come to Yandara, there's a lot of, you know, saints, people there. And so all of a sudden we're looking for this, um, guru up on a pedal and just famous or something like mm-hmm. a pedestal i mean and all of a sudden you look around and you say oh you look into the eyes of our f- com- travelers and we say oh here's a guru right now mm-hmm. and i think it is a shifted paradigm there, yeah. there is that happening and it was it wasn't happening 25 years ago it wasn't happening it's happening now it's like I mean, it happened to some degree, I suppose, back then, but it's happening more and more. So there's a shift to paradigm uh, in terms of perhaps the spiritual teachers, you mm. know, that there's there's something there that is um, look around mm. sometime. Look around with your heart eyes rather than your brain eyes and yeah. say, who is this? Wow, well, look at this person who's right beside me. You know, and it takes some discrimination, there not discrimination, discernment. and you can start to see you know it's like you start to see the depth of people instead of their external accomplishments which our society mostly looks at, mm-hmm. you know, car, job, things like this. yeah, you look at what is their essence, and you know it's it's interesting. And so you start to as like Satsang, you start to be around people like that and you start to associate with people you start to learn a sort of intuitive understanding and you sit guided by that mm-hmm. and you start to see well this is this is something beautiful um, that can happen and when we are encouraged to be aware of that possibility and we start to... You know, feel, I do feel there's sort of a, uh, in, in the middle of this chaos of our world, which is a little bit chaotic these days and <laughs> difficult, there is, uh, something happening. Yeah. There is an awakening on a very evolved spiritual level. Mm. Uh, and again, it, uh, you know, because one of the benefits, I'm 74 years old and, I did get to see what life was back in the 50s and how it's been changing. So I have a perspective where somebody your age may not have seen how it was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was very linear.
2: <laughs> wow. It, it was
0: beautiful, but it was simple. But also there was something else. There's something else that has evolved mm-hmm. over this period of time. I mean, just a simple thing like yoga went from like, you know, I don't know, ten thousand. People or 10 million, I don't know what, 10 million people in the United States. And now it's like 50 million people in the United States and Canada practice yoga. That in itself is pretty representative of something.
1: I think it's so easy for us to think about all the bad things that are happening and and maybe even be critical of that. But in the long term of history, Mm. we have evolved and advanced so much that in that way it can give us a lot of hope. Yeah. Craig, is there something else that you would like to add? <laughs> I think that's good <laughs> Great. So just as a last question I always end with this one mm-hmm. What are you curious about right now?
0: I'm curious about what's going to happen in the future mm. I think that uh, things are not going so well externally, politically and I'm curious to see how um, how this loving consciousness is going to manifest in our difficult
1: world. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Yeah. Craig, thank you so, so much. Now after this time to nurture your mind and your spirit, we invite you to take a moment to consider others. A kind wish might come to mind. Know that what we learn becomes more valuable when we apply it and share it with others. So share this episode on Instagram stories, tag Dara, and I, or share with a loved one so that more people can benefit from it. Our hope is that the search will lead you home to who you already are, to what was always there. We'll be back next week with more inspiration, honest conversation, and insight into the energetic world around us. Thank you for listening and watching.